Hello, you're listening to Just Screen It, Case Studies in Creative Distribution. I am your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in creative or self-distribution. I am an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature a horror film entitled The Grove. As I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've been looking seriously at self-distribution as an option, but I found there's not a lot of data out there to really understand how it's worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really crazy, complex landscape of independent film distribution today. So each week, I'll be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or been personally involved in the distribution of their film. My hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from the show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. Hey everybody, today I'm interviewing Josh Follen. Josh has been the producer and or director for several films, uh, including All God's Creatures, uh, What Would Bear Do, Catch-22, and actually several more that I saw on his website that I didn't even know about. Uh, Josh has also written a self-distributed book series about his experiences, collectively entitled Filmmaking the Hard Way. Uh, this is a great casual conversation about Josh's origin story, uh, the making of those movies, and his experiences getting them out to audiences in various ways. Uh, along the way, Josh talks very openly about his distribution stories and at a few points actually gives us some live revenue numbers straight off his dashboard. Uh, I think aspiring filmmakers will glean a lot from this interview about the state of independent film distribution today. So without any further delay, I bring you my interview with Josh Follin. All right. Hey, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Colin. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your origin story, your background, tell us how you got into filmmaking, and we'll go from there. Not at all by design. <laughs> I am from uh, northern Ohio, a little town called Oberlin, like a half hour west of Cleveland. Uh -huh. And my graduating class, I think, was like 84 people or something. So this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, and they do not... They do not offer you filmmaking as a career path in a place like that. <laughs> yeah. To my knowledge, anyways, I don't know. Maybe someone else from there would have a different opinion of that. But it did not seem like something that was on a possibility as a life path for me growing up. So it was not something I had any interest or inkling towards when I, I went to Ohio State after high school. Where finance was just literally like business seemed <laughs> like, you know, you have to pick something. So business seemed like it didn't require, I, I think the chief catalyst for it was it did not require additional foreign language classes mm -hmm. to go through most of the tracks outside of international business in the business school. And I was like, I struggle with languages. And I was like, okay, <laughs> between that and just kind of the general application of business on, on the whole, I'll just choose finance. And Finished that and moved out to, I had done little modeling BS through college, uh, local jewelry ads and whatever. And I was, I was actually, I had a full-time job as a financial advisor before I even graduated. So I was working at this firm and some pictures from that BS got out to an agency in New York and a friend of mine already lived there. So I was able to, I had somewhere to crash. So I, I went out and met with this agency and crashed on this couch for a couple of weeks and I had a really cool boss at that advisory firm, and she was she would let me do this, which was kind of amazing of her. So there was like a six that that went okay, and there was like a six month period where I was just going back and forth, a week or two a month, and kind of shaking hands and kissing babies to see how that stuff would go. And I can give you a long boring story of why I hated that job, but I did, and I basically just wrote her a letter. Why you know I mean, my lease ran up in my apartment, and I wrote 
my boss a letter, thanked her for everything, left all my client files and my keys on her desk and drove to New York kind of on a whim to some degree. And I was there maybe, like I said, at, you know, acting, produce, nothing to do with film at all yet. And I was there for a couple of months and I booked something on Comedy Central that was like a half acting, half modeling job. And that got me an agent. So I took some acting classes, got a job in one of the soaps. And while I was working on all my children, another meaningless character and myself started a little theater company. Hmm. And the soap fans are very, very adamant or a very, very adamant <laughs> group uh, of fans. So we were able to do okay and sell tickets for theater shows where we were using the more prominent soap stars to fill the seats. And that's kind of what segued me into producing. And on the film side, I did a little, I did a couple early in my acting run. I did a couple of really bad six kids locked in a house horror films. You know, you're very stock mm-hmm. horror film. And one of them, the other male lead and I, had kind of just sitting around bullshitting on set. We each mentioned that we had started writing a script with, you know, at, at that time, it was not about necessarily producing or being a filmmaker. It was about creating acting work for yourself. Mm-hmm. And we each had a script that was written with that in mind. And in our naivety, we decided to band together with our two <laughs> little scripts and under the idea that we, like having two scripts to sell to investors, like two products to sell yeah. would make it easier. And and really, I think what in hindsight, what that did was just kind of convolute our pitch. But we were able to scrape together through friends and family and, and whatever, like 21 grand to produce my first film, the one I had written, All God's Creatures. And that kind of sent me careening down the producing path. And that was, you know, 15 years ago. So. Okay. That's the origin story. That's right. Got it. Did you direct as well or just producing? Well, okay. So that, that first one I wrote and produced and acted in the second feature I produce. I also wrote kind of a dumb buddy comedy. What would bear do? And you know, comedy, one of the interesting things that I learned very on with, with all God's creatures producing that. And uh, you know, I wrote the script in that. So I, I, I sat down in an empty room by myself and I, in my mind had this, vision of a story, right? And I put it on paper as best I could. And what I learned producing that film was when you filter your work through another human being in the creative process, it doesn't come out the way you sat in that room alone thinking, you know? And that's not a knock on what Ryan and Frank, the the co-directors on All God's Creatures did. I think they did a fine job with that film because the resources we were able to provide them. So it's not a matter of disappointment. It just was different. And in the case of What Would Bear Do, I'd written this extremely, in my mind anyway, specific type of comedy. And the idea of filtering that very specific thing, comedy, I think, is a more delicate dance, you know, than what amounted to really a horror film with our first that first feature that I did not trust filtering that through another person. So I decided to direct it. And I mean, I hadn't directed a short, I hadn't directed shit. So, you know, I mean, I'd acted on a reasonable amount and been on enough sets and did that interfacing that, that actor director interface and, and seen the process. Certainly when I'm producing all God's creatures up close, you know, I I wouldn't say that I had no idea what I was doing. And I certainly am a pretty voracious reader. So I read every book I possibly could and yada, yada, yada. But I certainly went into that, uh, I think, more inexperienced than I should. Right. (laughs) That's not the the path you're supposed to do it on. I don't think just jump into a feature. Well, you got to jump in sometime, right? (laughs) I I suppose. I suppose. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, you know, I directed in that case. My third feature that I co-wrote with a friend of mine, Shawnee, I also edited that one too. So every one of these like extra titles that I have eventually taken on has kind of been born out of some somewhat necessity and somewhat 
I guess just, you know, the filmmakers I really admire are the the Duplass brothers, the Sean Bakers, the Swanbergs, like the, the the filmmakers that just, you know, they just sit down and just figure it all out themselves. And I, I just yeah. respect that to no end, especially if you can create great work while doing it. So, I you know, there's some of me, I'm sure, that just was aspiring to that, yeah. to to wanting to be, to completely tell the story with as much of your own clay as you can without having someone come in and bring their own little kit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- makes total sense. What was the third feature called? That was Catch-22, yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Okay, all right. I just watched that last night, actually. So okay. okay, I enjoyed it. So- like just time-wise, your your first feature was made about when? All God's Creatures, we shot that in 09. Mm-hmm. So I had been writing that 07 and 08 probably, at mm-hmm. least I would guess. I mean, it was a long time before I even felt vaguely comfortable showing it to another human being. And it came out in 2010. And, you know, we did okay with that, all things considered. And again, we shot that for 21 and a half grand, I think. By the time we had delivered the whole thing, having no idea what we were doing with distribution or deliverables or anything, that was a nightmare. Post-production on that was crazy because we had no idea what we were doing. Again, despite I read, I mean, on the producing side, I'm even worse. Like, I read every book about you know, yeah. every one of them. Uh, I would go. Well, you can I, read all you want, but, you know, in the yeah, end, you no, just got to do and all kinds right. of things happen. You don't you, know shit until you, you get yeah. your hands on it for sure. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we shot that in 09, came out in 2010. We did okay with it. We found our you know, a real distributor got a little minimum guarantee with it, which is in hindsight, still to me kind of crazy. And pretty much coming right off that Matt and I started writing what would bear do. I shot that in 2012. So two years later, I'm back in Ohio shooting that. Uh, and then between that and catch 22, I started kind of doing uh, my, my focus generally career wise, I think shifted more towards producing less and acting. And I started doing some for higher UPM producing type work. And around that time is when I wrote my first book, uh, Filmmaking the, uh, the Hard Way, which was about uh, essentially just a case study on the making of All God's Creatures, that first film. And that book had just come out. I self-published that and it came out in 2013, maybe. And Shawnee and I, the, the, my co-writer on Catch-22, co-writer, co-producer, he and I <laughs> went and saw Fruitvale Station, I think it was, together uh, around that time. And walking out of the theater, he tells me a story that he was once going to write, and huh. he never did. And I was like, I didn't know him to be a writer. And I'm like, Shawnee, what were you going to write? Tell me, this, go pitch me the story. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to hear what this was, you know? Right. And the story he told me was uh, basically the seed for what Catch-22 became. And, okay. you know, we're literally walking up Second Avenue in NYC to my apartment in Midtown after that. And he's telling me this whole thing. I'm jotting stuff down in my Evernote. And, you know, by the time he gets all out, I'm like, Shawnee, that's a great idea. You're not going to write that? He's like, I never really got past the title page. So <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let's do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. That was how that story came to be. And yeah, that ended up coming out. We That was released in 17, early okay. 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go to kind of got a, got a little overview of what you've done then. I'm going to maybe rewind a little bit and talk a little bit more about financing and distribution experience and stuff like that. So let's sure. go back to your first feature, All God's Creatures, right? And made for about 21K. Did you do any? In the can, 21 and a half, 30K by the time we got to the distributor. Gotcha. Okay. And did you do any kind of fundraising for that? Was it crowdfunding? Did you just sing in money yourself? Like, yeah, we did. Things? So for the 21 and a half K production, that was all, you know, we did, we did try to go out and raise financing from film people. My first producing partner, he and I met on this movie, Biker, and the producer on that 
His name was Michael Hine, who's he's, he passed away a few years ago unexpectedly, which was a bummer. I'm sure he looked at us like these kids are idiots, but he was at least willing to sit down with us and kind of talk to us about it and kind of structure what we were doing and turn it into a real pitch, I guess, and and mold a little bit of what we were trying to fundraise with, like materials wise, budget, et cetera. So we went out and, and kind of tried to do the traditional thing. Of course, everyone we talked to was like, why would we give you guys money? You've never made a movie. And, you know, I don't even I don't even know what we were asking for. It was probably a hilarious amount of money. <laughs> so we, yeah, we essentially ended up raising 21.5K from friends and family. Okay. Breaking gotcha. that together. Literally, you know, Matt's family, he had a, like an uncle and his dad gave us maybe half of it. I had a girlfriend at the time that gave me a, a nice chunk of change. I had, you know, my mom gave me like 800 bucks. Her dad gave me 500 bucks. My, my manager at the bar I was bartending at gave me 500. Like we really, <laughs> really scraped. Yeah, yeah, scraped and yeah. clawed that together. So okay. as you're doing this, did you have sort of any kind of distribution strategy that you were thinking about any you know, were you, were you, were you thinking no. that far ahead or were you just like, okay, just get some uh, money? I'm I'm sure again, yeah, I'm sure again having read every book on the shelf at Borders at the time we had some idea, again, probably some in some PDF, we probably had some hilarious comps against some completely irrelevant movie projects and and planned on going to those distributor, whatever it would have been. Uh, so I'm sure we thought we had a plan, but not a realistic one. Gotcha. Okay. So you make the movie and you kind of finished it up. You said you had to raise some more money for post. So what happened when, when you got done with it? How'd that go? One thing I can say that was kind of like a credible responsible decision that is somewhat something a mate like a real producer <laughs> would should or, or would do back then i don't think it's as applicable now as, yeah. a, as a as a way of, of finding distribution but i went to afm you know i literally ah. went out to la and all by myself and like sat down with the stupid catalog and picked out a bunch of companies that were seemingly applicable and and did the kind of product that we thought we had yeah. And did a whole thing weeks leading up to the market where I was emailing, trying to set up meetings, yada, yada, yada. And not a lot of people were willing to give me time at the market. So yeah, I did all this legwork leading up to and after the fact follow-up. And one of the companies that I do not believe would let me would meet with me at the market sent us an offer after the fact in that follow-up. They sent it to me and I forwarded it to my producing partner. And I didn't even read it thoroughly enough because I didn't even see the minimum guarantee in there. You know, <laughs> we had gotten a bunch of no MG offers. And by that point, I was just kind of like expecting to not get an MG. You know? yeah. And, and this, when I go through this uh, agreement, I didn't even clock it. And he writes me back and he's like, they're off in a 7,500 bucks. Like, no brainer. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so yeah, we were like, oh god damn, yeah, that is a no brainer. You're right. So yeah. that was the company we went with. But doing that, you know, we again had no idea how to deliver a film, and that was back in of 2009. And mm -hmm. you know, we had not shifted to a fully digital delivery <laughs> at all yet. So there's all these tapes and all this bullshit we had to do HD cam tapes and stuff. I still have this one of the HD cam tapes that we sent to the distributor, and the distributor had put a note on it, a sticky note that says, "All God's creatures master." bad and then underline three times <laughs> like, wow. we sent him a bunch of tapes that didn't even work right you know so, at least yeah, it wasn't I, coming I, out commenting on the movie itself right maybe i didn't ask and once we <laughs> right. severed the deal i could care less what his opinion was yeah yeah 
but yeah, it's a hilarious little career relic that I right. that I'm gonna hold on to probably forever. But right. so yeah, so we had to deliver all these things that we didn't have any clue how to deliver. The yeah. QCing process we hadn't done properly on our own. So eventually, you know, we we tried to like I remember trying to forge a a QC report. I like you know and this is again <laughs> the internet was not nearly as all encompassing as it is now. So right. finding even like a stock report that I could doctor. And yeah. I probably was trying to do it in a shitty, I couldn't afford Photoshop probably. <laughs> so I had some shittier photo editing software and, you know, who knows how bad it was or how wrong it looked, whatever, but they didn't buy it. So we had to like, we QC it on our own. I think maybe we did pay straight for that, but like some of the editing stuff, some of the deliverables that we sent them, none of them worked. So they had to, at least what they told us, they had to have their in-house editor do a bunch of stuff. So they charged a bunch of money against the film and we ended up not seeing that full 7,500 bucks. Mm -hmm. I think it was a more around maybe half to two thirds of it that actually got to us, you know, at least you saw something, which is exactly yeah. more it was, than it a lot of still, people can say. So. Still a win. And yeah, yeah, we definitely never saw another dollar out of them as far as, mm actual royalty we did you know they I, I they did okay with reporting you know they at least sent us pdfs that demonstrated why we weren't getting money which <laughs> you, can't even, you can't even get that out of everyone i would right. say reliably so to you know i'll give them that level of credit and they never just ghosted us like evan evan something osiris entertainment was the name of the company and they're mm -hmm. not not around anymore but the guy evan something or other that ran it was you know he would at least and i'm sure i was so overbearing <laughs> <laughs> And, and wanting answers right, and right. if the report was four days late i'm you know what the where the fuck is our report i'm sure i can't right. even imagine how uh, so you're like yeah you're like first time filmmaker you're right getting your film out there for the first time you think you're just gonna blow open the world right it's like okay people are gonna start watching the money's gonna start pouring in now right yep. and of course probably Definitely not, not. <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm but yeah I, enough things didn't go right that time yeah, which I'm sure, you know, 90 percent, if not a higher percentage of filmmakers, this is how it goes. That first time paints the way you approach it yeah, a great deal sure. moving forward. And you learn a lot and you learn what to expect, what to watch for. Yeah, it's a, it's trial by fire for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. And I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a lot more of that. I'm, I'm just curious, like, what did that distributor, where did they actually put it? What were the exhibition formats oh, you know, they, for? Yeah, they did. Uh, they did a fine job at that. I would say, you know, I funny i still get emails that was physical was still certainly a thing then yeah they did a lot they did a walmart deal they did okay. there was a number of of compilations that it got put into right dvd compilations of four films that and, th and that was the interesting thing about it too it's funny because that film we called it a romantic thriller that's how we <laughs> coined the genre yeah. and what it was about was a love story between a serial killer and a prostitute. So there's these, it's a, this love story between these really, really dark people, but it was a love story. It right. was very <laughs> much a romance. It just happened to happen in this really dark place. Yep. And like the, the cool thing about what we did, despite it had that kind of highbrow intent for what we were creating was it could easily be marketed as a horror film, mm -hmm. you know? Right. They just put some, a dead body on the cover yeah. and he's a serial killer and there's a little bit of nudity and like there's just all the all the horror boxes are checked. And, you know, we might there might have been some level of understanding that we were doing that. But the poster concerned look at horror films. So it gets put in these compilations of horror films. And I get emails to this day where, you know, the person people watch see it somewhere on these things. And they're like, it wasn't like any of the other movies on the disc. It was very <laughs> different. <laughs> huh, interesting. It's like and that's like the ultimate, I think, compliments, at least from a producing perspective, that you can make a, a movie that makes you think. But can be wrapped in this easily sold wrapper. <laughs> right. 
Um, so, so in the end, was the portion of the minimum guarantee that you ended up getting, was that all of the revenue that you ever got for that film? For that film, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, not, I shouldn't say that. Uh, from that deal, yes. You know, there was a point when, again, they were, they were an old school distributor. The big problem with them is during that deal, we, we see things transitioning to this more digital landscape. Mm-hmm. And this company is not embracing it at all. They're mm-hmm. still talking to me about DVDs. They're talking to me about Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. They're talking about some international stuff too, but none of the stuff that is happening, you know, uh, in the distribution landscape that I'm constantly reading about and learning about. And it's eventually seen for other films. Like we didn't actually take that movie back entirely, I think until around the time Catch-22 came out. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we were with that company for five, six years. Before he was just like, okay, fine, just fucking just take it, okay. Okay, wow. And, <laughs> you know, and until then, uh, he was just continuing to kind of push the the physical media. Right, right, right. So there was a point, like yeah. when you know, once Amazon opened up and allowed you to self publish with CreateSpace, and I'm sure he was hesitant about the CreateSpace with the DVDs. I'm sure he was still trying to sell DVDs then. But whatever the case, like there, there was, like, we incrementally like started doing our own thing with some of the digital rights mm-hmm. because they weren't doing anything at all, let alone a good job with that. So like they conceded that. And then eventually, yes, you know, he just was like, I don't know if they were closing down or what. I have no idea. But he was just like, you can, you know, we can dissolve the deal. You can have the whole thing back. Right. So we've taken the full rights back. Now it's a catalog film, one of the many I have on film through Film Hub that is in okay. a, a bunch of places, which is, you know, Film yep. Hub is a godsend, I think, yep. for yep. the small independent producer. And, you know, half the time, you know, you pull that dashboard up and you'll look at, at, at what's there and like with the, the platforms that it that it's recently been accepted onto or delivered to. And it's like, I've never even heard of these things. So like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible in that they're just, you know, you don't even, you get revenue from places you don't even know. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know where it is or what it is. So, right. um, and, and because it is, it, it, all God's creatures does have that horror twist to it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of timeless in, in its ability to make a little bit of money. So yeah, it, it yeah. is absolutely um, now making revenue that we monthly and are able to distribute to investors, which you know, it's not a lot, but I think it's more than any of those people expected to see, you know, after that initial distribution of the of the MG went out and yeah. nothing came in for years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. they expected that was just a wash. You know? And it's so. like, what, 10 years later now. So, you know, right. like like to, to get any kind of trickle, trickle of income on something like that is just it's all sort of a bonus. Right. Because you've gotten sure. over the time that you think you're actually going to make any money on it. So now it's just like whatever comes in. Great. Yeah. Right. Can you speak at all to like dollar amounts? Is it like three figures, four figures, you know, like, Oh uh, no, no. Yeah. It's, two uh, figures. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't give a shit about anything and I'll just pull the thing up and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. The, the, the they, honesty they, is, is, is always cool. It's always good to be able to get real numbers out there because for it's, sure. It's so hard to find otherwise. So, yeah, no, the, the, you know, one of my, my indie, Filmmaking superhero is Ted Hope, and and he's yeah. got a whole he's got a whole thing about transparency and how mm-hmm. beneficial it would be for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. if we would just stop being so protective of everything, yep. I think it would benefit the whole a great deal. So I'm very much a subscriber. It's a l- to that little bit of, of of what this podcast is all about, right? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> trying, trying to Absolutely. get some of those stories out there. So Absolutely. So yeah. So they actually just pinged me. They wanted to re. I think I did. It was so long ago that I did the captions file myself. Yeah. For all God's creatures. And they just recently asked for a new one. So I, I actually just, I had to reinvest 180 bucks or 120 bucks <laughs> or something into right. the film just recently. So I was just interfacing with about this title. But yeah, so I'm looking at the, the channel activity. I mean, it just hit Apple. That was the whole thing. It got on Apple TV 
Oh, cool. And they wanted, uh, you know, I'm sure Apple has more stringent caption expectations, so they yeah. wanted a, a more polished one. So, yeah, so it just got on there. I'll pull up the insights thing. It's on 10 channels, 90 countries. I mean, yeah, we're talking 1698 one month, <laughs> right. 650 the next, 531 the next, 2280 the next, 2295 the next, 1448 the next, 2839. So, so yeah, are, these are, are, are these are these numbers with decimal points in them? I, I assume they are. Like when yes, you say 14 got, dot, you know, 88, yes, got, you're talking yes, 14 dollars no, and 98 cents. I figured that uh, was probably clear because otherwise you're doing bigger. very well but right, yeah the smile might <laughs> basically much sure. bigger yeah <laughs> so cool but it's you know it's always nice to have just a little bit of extra income coming in for, for something sure. like that even though there's lots of lots of reasons to not be too positive about the state of indie distribution today that's one of the things that is kind of fun to watch is just this way of just being a film hub or whatever just being able to get your film out there and just generate revenue and income without any kind of middleman or anybody kind of intercept. I mean, Film Hub takes, what, 20% or something like that. So there's a little bit of middleman in there. But, you know, it's not like... But there's no upfront cost. That's the whole thing. There's no upfront cost. Yeah, there's no mystery to it. You know, you just put it out there and and if people find it, they find it and you you get some money from it, you know? Um, Yeah, no, I've been been working with them. They were Keto Nation when I started with them. And this was like 2013, maybe. But it's been about a decade I've been working with them. And they were a tiny, tiny company. It was just Adam... Uh, and a couple of other guys that were over there. And I don't think Adam's with them anymore. But yeah. yeah, they they have always been great, and they've always they're getting a little bigger now. So it's they're maybe not as easily able to interface with you about minutia. But for a long time, they were like at the drop of a dime. Like, okay, what do you want to talk about? I mean, I sat and had coffee with when I, when I was self releasing. What would Bear do? I think it was what would Bear do? Maybe. I don't know. At some point or another, their CEO was willing to sit down and have a coffee with me. Oh, and pretty cool. <laughs> fucking yeah. Santa Monica to talk about some bullshit little title that I we were rolling out. Yeah. And, you know, it's he, they've always been really great, really filmmaker minded. And even when I I got pissy with them one time in like 18, 19 about the insights not matching up well with the actual payouts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sat and had like a 30, 45 minute call with, uh, again, one of their big wigs kind of mm-hmm. going through why there's a, a variance there. And, you know, it's a, the insights are reporting of accrual. You know, mm-hmm. they're just if a platform, whatever, some random platform is paying on a per minute basis, they send them reports. That doesn't mean the money has come in <laughs> yet, you know, yeah. and some of these companies never even pay their bullshit companies. Who knows where they do right. their best to vet them uh, before they get into bed with them. But there's also an incentive just as we're sitting here praising them for to generate revenue for the filmmakers that otherwise yeah. aren't generating revenue. So like you're there's a experimental mindset that has to accompany that. You know, yeah. that that I think they, you know, are, are kind of walking the line between, <laughs> you know, really, really credible, dependable paying companies and companies that are trying to take the next step and willing to take chances on films that otherwise, yeah. you know, Apple or whatever isn't going to. So, yeah, totally. It sounds like you've been with them since the very beginning. And I know a lot of filmmakers are, you know, more discovering them recently, last few years, whatever. So, must have been really interesting to watch them start out and grow and, and that kind of thing sure. and to just be part of that from early uh, yeah, days. Yeah, I mean, cause there, there was, yeah, there was nothing like that yeah. Yeah, a yeah, decade yeah. ago. You know, totally. Nothing. Totally. I mean, in retrospect, it was pretty forward thinking, you know, what, what they were doing. In fact, I didn't really realize they'd been around quite that long. So, yeah. Do you know like how big a company they are? Now? I don't know. But yeah. I mean, like I said, for they were pretty small for a long time. I, yeah. You know, to, yeah. They 
I don't know, just as a testament to it, like that they've had CEO changeover now. So mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I think it's more of just like, yeah, it's definitely a bigger, considerably yeah. bigger operation than it was even a few years ago, I would guess. Yeah. Uh, I know like they're doing a lot of like, I just had an email this morning from a producer that I line produced her film a few years ago. It's her first feature. She's, you know, constantly has questions for me, <laughs> which I'm, I'm happy to answer. But they are pitching her right now on physical DVDs, which is funny. We're oh, wow. circling back to this conversation. Right now, yeah. Like, yeah, they're still out there. There are still, you know, physical DVDs right. are still a thing in some small circles, you know. Well, you know. Exactly. This is yeah. not though. This is kind of yeah. kind of like a children's mystery kind of. Oh, so I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure what the exact demographics of uh, outside of uh, horror is obvious because you have that collector thing going on. I yeah. think with a lot of horror fans. Right. But I don't think this fits into that box. Whatever the case, she gets this email from them a week or two ago pitching physical DVDs, and I guess it's a new program that they're instituting in house. Which probably they probably saw Amazon shutting this off recently, and we're like, ooh, there's a gap in the market now. So. They are trying to pitch her on this title to do a DVD. And like the way they initially pitch it is, you know, you have to pay for the authoring and the marketing material, whatever the wraparound, all the BS, you have to pay for all that. And I don't think they were asking her to actually pay it out of pocket, but they were, they, they, you know, they're, they're going to charge it against the film. And I'm like, the only, I tell her, I'm like, the only way I would bite on that is if they're willing to partition the charging against the film on physical sales only, because mm-hmm. I'm sure they have the tools in house. I mean, I've, I, you know, I've built the Blu-rays on a number of my films. I mean, a chimpanzee mm-hmm. can do it if you have the software. So I'm sure they have all the tools in-house to do it. They certainly have graphic designers and stuff. So they're going to do that in-house. This is what, you know, a lot of the, the, the first distribu- distributor, they had an in-house editor. When they sent them business, there's zero dot in my mind that money in one way or another trickles back to the distributor. And that's a revenue source to create that labor need, you know? So that's part of the murkiness of distribution. So even as much as I <laughs> like Film Hub, they're still trying to make money. And yeah, yeah. they, you know, if, if they can get you to say yes to that, they're going to charge X number of dollars against the film. And there's no chance that it's the, the, the actual hard cost of doing so. You know, it's going to be more than that. There's going to be a margin there. And I told her, I was like, the only way I would be OK with that is if they're willing to only make that charge against physical sales, against mm. DVD sales. So mm. essentially, it doesn't hurt you at all. It doesn't hurt your streaming revenue. You know, this morning of she kind of said that to them and they said, we'll cover the cost. You know, I was like, you need to get clarification. You need to yeah. find out what covering the cost means. <laughs> you yeah. know, if it's being charged against the film, are they paying for it outright? Which would be amazing. If, they, if that's what they write back with, you know, we need to fucking send them a cake or something because that's incredible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they're willing to just pay for it and not charge it against anything, that's incredible. Because, you know, they would still make obviously the 20% on it. So it's possible yeah. that they're, again, because you can do it with, Next to nothing, you can create these. You can create a physical disc if you, you know, what you the materials you have to send off to the authoring company. You know, the company yeah. actually prints them. You know, so I'm sure there's no upfront cost for them to do it, other than the labor of creating materials. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what they say exactly yeah. how that how that goes. You know, interesting. So I want to kind of back up a little bit. You know, we've sort of gone all over the place, which is totally fine. But movie number two was sorry. What did what would Bear, Bear do? do? Yeah, yeah. What would yeah. Bear do? So talk about kind of jumping into that. Like, you know, what were you what were you taking from your first feature kind of going into that in terms of what your what your overall strategy is for making the film and 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 particularly you know with regard to distribution absolutely so yeah that one from like a producing perspective this was something the appeal was of it was like this was an idea nothing you could do this for literally nothing Mm -hmm. uh, comparatively this was a buddy comedy about a couple of potheads and i wrote it so it could be shot in ohio 
just some small town anywhere, really. And they idolized this character, this Bear Grill. I don't know if you recall Man vs. Wild. It was a show on TV then that I loved. Oh, but yeah. A, survival, a survivalist reality TV. Yep. Maybe the last time I watched a reality television show. And they idolized this figure that is very much in that vein. And the story starts and they, you know, the one's already unemployed, living in his parents' basement. The other loses his job. Their girlfriends break up with them. They're out of beer. The bong breaks. Like, <laughs> Their, their life goes completely sideways and they see this contest that their idol on, on this show is putting on a, a survival contest where you go into the woods and, you know, record yourself survive in survival scenarios. And if you win the contest, you win next number of dollars and get to meet Bear and yada, yada. So the the that's the that's the setup for it. So that can obviously happen anywhere that has woods. Ohio is right. perfect where I'm from, yep. you know. So the whole cast was six people. Four everyday regulars, one of which I was going to play. Mm-hmm. A buddy of mine, a comedian buddy of mine, Avery Pearson, I cast for the other guy. We cast the girls kind of traditionally our girlfriends. And the whole thing was that they're to up the ante of this situation. They're going to take their girlfriends with them. So it's the two couples uh, going into the woods uh, having two. And the girls are not on board really at all for the most part. So, <laughs> nice the, you know, needless to say, that adds some comedic strife to the to the, the situation. So. Yeah. I got my buddy, Phil, who's a somewhat accomplished actor to play the older brother for a few days and flew him into Ohio. But we got in a car, the four of us and my co-director, Fritz Breckheller, who I met in all my children. Great guy. One of the best human beings in entertainment, I would say. And the DP and sound mixer were a boyfriend-girlfriend combo I met from Cleveland, from the area we're going to shoot in, that (laughs) lived in New York. And, you know, they drove together. And then a, a, a car of me, the two girls, and Fritz and Avery got in a, in a car with a, a few supplies and drove to Ohio together to shoot this film for uh, a couple of weeks where yeah. we literally lived in my aunt's house, sleeping in the basement. That was the den, the, the, the lead characters hung out in all the time and smoked right. all their weed and watched bear, <laughs> bear and, and all that. And yeah, we each did that bare bones. I did an Indiegogo. I put like the, the full budget was like eight pay. Maybe I did I put like half that in out of my own pocket and then we did an Indiegogo where we ended up raising more than we needed. So we actually had a luxurious amount of like 9K to nice. shoot that with. And yeah, I went out into the woods and shot that in like wow. maybe 10 days or something like that. Yeah. You, you actually range your budget in, your working budget in. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. Went, like, super totally producer. Down, super totally producer, Colin. Micro, micro budget. Super producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's totally <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, I think there's totally something to be said for, for movies like that. Like, first of all, yeah. Making movies for that cheap, you actually have a chance of making that money back, you know. And we, right. we'll, and it, we'll but that's another one that. too, because it's like this goofy family comedy, man. It just keeps making money. It's crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. And it's also just like you know, so so you have a chance of making your money back, and also like you just don't have to put that much into it. You can just do it. You just get yep. it done. You don't have to go through all these gatekeepers. You don't have to worry about financing, really. Yep. You know, all those kinds of things. It's just it's a great way to make movies. It's not the way I'm making them, which you know I wonder if I should, but I know a lot of people are out there doing it and you know i think it's a great great way to it's go. tough man I'm, you know i'm constantly i work with a lot of first-time filmmakers it's one of my yeah. favorite things to do professionally because i had this goofy comedy about a struggling street magician mm-hmm. and this is a wacky ass project this is a character that this first-time filmmaker you know he's been doing like skit videos and stuff with this character for a long time this is the first feature at all but it's it's a expansion on the universe that he's been playing with for a while and he did indiegogo for like 30 grand so we did this whole movie it was amazing dude we like finished production the budget number is hilarious like twenty nine thousand eight hundred and seventy bucks or something with a thirty thousand dollar budget so good (laughs) just incredible just incredible to look at on the the spreadsheet but awesome 
you know, you working with filmmakers like that, man, it's so, cause they just don't know any of the shit. And like the shit is so it's, it's, especially for a small film like that, it's such a formulaic process from a, like a producing perspective. And it's so easy to impose that on these. And, and it's enjoyable to work. And you, you sit and you're working firsthand with the filmmaker. And like, so two of you figuring these problems out on a daily basis and on these little projects like that, the problems are more interesting than they are on bigger films. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just, I just enjoy it more. It's, it's just a yeah. really, a really, really fun thing. And of course, you know, seeing we're doing a test screening at this really cool venue that he found in West Hollywood, Whammo, I think it's called. But we're doing a test screening there and like, you know, all his friends and family are there to right. to watch this thing and give feedback and stuff. And like that, that is a, from a professional spect- perspective. That is that is that's a very fulfilling thing. So I enjoy yeah, doing that a lot cool. because I do a lot of that. I have a lot of conversations with aspiring first time filmmakers, too. Yep. Yep. And you get a lot of like, no, I need this to do this. And like, I mean, it's it's, it's super simple. I already said it when I was talking about raising financing for our first for all God's creatures. Like, why the fuck? Would someone give you a substantial amount of money if you've never shown that it's crazy? It's a crazy ass environment. It's a canned thing to say, but it's a miracle that every single one of these independent projects comes to fruition at all. Every one of them is it's a miracle because you don't have the resources, you don't have the time. The people, most of them don't know what they're doing to get to the finish line at all is a miracle. So how can you possibly sit in front of someone, especially in a in a distribution landscape that we have now, where honestly, it's impossible to make money mm-hmm. in the sub. 250 grand range. Like, mm-hmm. yes, things pop and shit happens. But generally speaking, from like a practical business model perspective, it's impossible to make money in this space the way things are right now without doing yep. something really interesting outside the box and crazy that changes the dynamics of an impossible to navigate space from a monetization perspective. So first time, no experience in an impossible monetization environment. Like, why the fuck would someone give you money? <laughs> you know, like, why? Why? Tell me why. Especially. Like, I don't care how talented you are. There's someone out there that probably deserves it more, that has a more compelling story, that has a more, a story that needs to be told more right now. So I'm constantly trying to explain to filmmakers, like, one, if this is the best idea you're ever going to have, you're fucked anyways. If you, why, Again, if you want to be a flash in the pan and just do this as a thing, like as a one-off thing, you shouldn't do it. It's not going to be that fulfilling. It's going to stop a path that you could be spending time and developmental whatever resources working your way down in life. Otherwise, like there's a million reasons why you shouldn't just do it as like a thing to experiment with. If, if you're doing it long term, you're going to come up with better ideas, you know, or you're not going to do it long term. So don't be precious with it and find a story, either find a different story that you can tell with the resources you're able to find in a realistic and practical way that, you know, you're you're not going to be lying. Like it's a thing too. I'm so I'm, you know, going to be 42 soon. I've been doing this shit for 15 years. I can't lie. I'm, I'm all, I'm on a bad bullshit. Anyways, the first thing I've always said to an investor is this needs to be money. You don't ever need to see again, man. Yeah, like yeah. you need to be investing in this movie for a reason that is outside of financial gain because you're not going to make your money back. Holy shit. If we do, I'll be so happy because I'll actually be making money too. And I don't expect right. to make money making movies I want to make either, right. <laughs> you know, like to me, making money, making movies and making money, making movies I want to make are mutually exclusive activities. Yep. I make money making movies that are bad direct-to-streaming platform, Hallmark movies and genre movies and things that are just filling some pipeline that are product. That's mm-hmm. how I make money because okay. those actually make money, which is a sad state of affairs for the film consumption landscape, I think. Right. But right. it is what it is. So the movies that I actually want to make, <laughs> like I said, I, the short I haven't posted is $10,000 that I spent just, I'm just pissed it up a wall. But I was doing a movie that I didn't want to make 
and needed to wash that experience off me. So I came home <laughs> from an <laughs> out-of-state job and just did that and basically spent all the money I made because whatever. Yep. Making movies I want to make is, I guess, how I want to actually spend my life and get fulfillment from from this career, you know? Yeah, and it's a totally great approach. And I mean, you know, people <laughs> people make money and spend it in all kinds of ways, right? And people you know, spend it on fancy cars or fancy houses, vacations, travel to China, whatever, you know, they, right. they, all sorts of ways. If the way that you choose to spend you know, a little bit of the extra money that you make <laughs> is to make films, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's your own vacation, you know? But no, I, I think that's a totally great way to, to, to go about the filmmaking experience. So uh, so pretty cool. So just, just to kind of get back to the story a little bit here, what would be- I'm a tangent thing? guy, Colin, sorry. No, 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 it's totally, <laughs> all these, I actually love, don't, don't get me wrong, I love conversations like this. I love having, I love that feeling of like, oh, the hour's coming up and I haven't covered half of what I'm going to cover because it means we've covered all <laughs> kinds of interesting, cool stuff and gone all kinds of interesting directions. So it's no problem at all. But I do want to just kind of hear about like what would Bear do? So what happened once you made that film? What what actually happened with it? What did you do with it distribution wise? So same thing. I, again, I, I, in my mind, again, another, I did learn all these. Things. I shouldn't say I, I yeah. thought I learned all, I learned all these things in all God's creatures. And you like, you think, okay, like that's the model. That's how you do it. I did it. Oh my God, we got an MG. It worked. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's distributed. It's everywhere. So I thought I would do the same thing. I'd go back to AFM and I did, you know, and yep. you quickly learn, or I quickly learned that a slacker buddy comedy does not have the same worldwide appeal that a movie at least that could be perceived as a horror film does you know yeah. and yeah i mean that was you know i'm sure i got some people to sit down and talk to me about it and did the interfacing before and after the market just the same but no offers really not that i mean I, you know we i got an international offer that was no mg and i decided not to do it or for one reason or another but yeah that one just i decided to self-distribute and there was i mean i started with what the hell was it there was there was a some company that honestly was kind of in the vein of Film Hub or Kino Nation at the time, and I had not found Kino Nation yet. They might not even been out yet. I might, I might have literally, because I eventually, what would Bear do? Moved over to Kino Nation. It was the first film I put on there, I think, and it, it might have been right, right in Kino Nation's right in their beginning. But I was with this company before that was kind of the same idea: this self distribution, but it was more of like a housed on their own platform transactional thing where you could kind of pair it with some memorabilia or merchandise or whatever it was and we you know we cooked uh, cooked up this whole self-distribution thing with i think i made some wristbands and just shit that was in the world in the universe there was actually yeah i think this was the a whole plan there was like the acceptance letter they got or the u1 letter that yeah. they got from the, the reality show had like some stuff in it like wristbands and some stuff and okay. i had this plan in place early enough that that stuff was in the movie that we were going to use to package in the distribution via this platform. So yeah, I had had that plan for a while, I guess. Maybe we shot that as a pickup so long ago, I can't remember. But whatever the case, yeah, we tried to self-distribute it and, you know, made a little bit of money, not probably under a thousand bucks, I would say, on that initial just transactional thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we floundered for a bit. I probably put it on Amazon. I think that was possible at that time. So I, I'm actually curious, how come you just didn't go to Film Hub at that point? I mean, you had. You well, had... I didn't know. I didn't know Film Hub existed. Oh, okay. This so... was 2013. Like they might oh, said okay. they might not have existed. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, I don't even okay. know. But okay. yeah, I didn't know about right. their existence. I found out about again Kino Nation at the time uh, around this time, like in you know after the film had already been out. Like that that platform, like they it worked for us. It it stayed active long enough for us to do the initial release of the film mm -hmm. via that. But they folded. 
maybe a year later, if that. So so that company didn't work out, which is why I can't remember the name of it now. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so yeah. So that that was the initial idea, and then yeah, I think we just moved it on to a bunch of streaming platforms. However, we could, like I said, probably Amazon was a self thing. And then once I found Kino Nation, I released it with them. And, right. you know, I, I know they got it on. I remember them getting on to a cable network for like Xfinity or something it was on. And it it mm-hmm. made some money there, you know. So, yeah, early on, it, it actually did okay. And I mean, I don't know if we've, I don't think we fully recouped on that yet, but it's getting pretty close. Like we're oh, doing pretty that, good. That, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. film, you know, part of structuring it that way financially from the investment perspective, I mean, with, you know, the whole idea that I was directing for, like, I understood this as a producer, even, even I was, I would still say I knew nothing, but I understood that, that this was a huge risk and mm-hmm. it, I might be a total disaster. Can you describe to me a little bit more what Kino Nation is? I'm not actually familiar with Kino Nation. They were the, that was what Film Hub was called. Sorry. Oh, that's I, what Film Hub next, was back yeah, then. Yeah, that was, the, yeah, see. they switched right, their name to the Film Hub. Together. Okay. Yeah, I apologize. Gotcha. Sorry. Gotcha. I must okay. Really no, 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 no problem. That. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, that must have been a really interesting time to be like figuring out distribution because there was so much upheaval going on, right? Physical I, was I going away, cable right. was going away, like uh, you know, it just everything was changing. Everybody was trying to figure out. Netflix was rising in terms of streaming, like you know, there was that period of time when you you could do direct on Amazon and actually you know get decent money from it. You real know, micro like, money, like yep. just strange times that I wasn't really yeah. Catch twenty two. We found a real distributor for that too, and that. Within like six months of releasing the film, I had to go through a whole process to rip the rights back from them because they weren't oh they weren't even fulfilling the full MG that they were supposed to deliver to us. And I just saw a bunch of red flags again coming off that previous experience or having had that being in the midst, I guess, still of that previous experience yeah. with All God's Creatures. You know, I saw the red flags as soon as, you know. They popped up and I wasn't doing that again. (laughs) And we had more money at stake and it was a better movie. I knew that for a fact. And yeah, I wasn't going to put up with any bullshit. So (laughs) So that was the whole thing where like, you know, I'm like, Literally writing a, a formal letter of of complaint to them. Like, do you care to name that particular company or? Yeah, Winnow White Media. They're not around either. Yeah, okay, I'm so transparent matter. about everything, dude. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they were a Toronto-based company that yeah. they offer us again. I think it was, it was like seventh grand or seventy five hundred bucks or something. Was yeah. the MG on that? Which again, even at that time, I couldn't believe that we were getting MG. Yeah, I mean, MG is pretty much dried up by that. This right. is sort of Correct. like mid teens, right? No, two thousand. Yeah, this was two thousand. Yeah, back into two thousand sixteen, we premiered 16, in April. Yeah. Of 2016, we shot in 2015. Premiered our festival premiere was Palm Beach Festival in April, I think, of 16. And I was delivering that film by like late summer, I think. So we had secured that deal by late summer 16. So yeah, the MG, I did not expect to get one, but we did. And yeah, they that was a whole like they. I knew what I was doing, so I was able to deliver pretty efficiently on that. And uh, I've edited that one too, so I'm the one in charge of it all. So all the more reason why I have control over over what we're getting to the company. But yeah. The way the MG worked, they were supposed to, you know, on delivery, they were supposed to send me half and getting that out of them was its own runaround. They finally do send me checks, uh, plural, two. They send me for half, the, the first half of the MG, they send me two checks. Uh-huh. And and I didn't even notice at first, I go to deposit the two of them. I'm like, what? They send me two checks. That's so weird. And I didn't even notice that one of them was post-dated. So I take the damn two checks to the bank and go to deposit them. And the clerk is like, this one's post-dated. You can't cash this one. I'm like, what the oh, fuck? <laughs> That's a bad sign because the, clearly exactly. they're so, like their books are all like they're precisely they no so like I, yeah, books. I, yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah, I reached uh, out to her name was Amanda, I think uh, she was. At, and that's the thing, like it, it's it's crazy because they were super cool. And even the CEO 
was really cool about this. And, you know, and I didn't have to fight too hard to get it back. Once we got, went down this path, they were kind of like, okay, we understand. Yeah. You know, here, here's, here's the rights back. But yeah, I reached out to her and I'm like, it's one of two things. You're either insolvent, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, I'd gotten, I think the seven year deal on that. That's one of the big term thing or one of the big deal points and a distribution deal. You need to be mindful of, keep that as minimal as possible. So I had a, a pretty reasonable window on that. So I was like, you're either insolvent and I don't want to be in bed with you for seven years or you're lying to me or you're deceptive in some way. And either yeah. in either case, I don't want to spend seven years with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. So we didn't get to that. Like I want out of this deal thing until later. Like that's that first check thing happens. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of wary. And I'm like, what's up with that? They're like, mm-hmm. you know, sorry, don't worry about it. Yada, yada, yada. And yeah. you know, it is a whole process. And they already had it piped into to, to platforms that you're not going to be able to go back to a second time, you know, Hulu's and whatever it might've been. So like I, understood I would hurt the film to some degree or another by taking the rights back and delisting it on those platforms through them. So, you know, I, I didn't want, I wasn't full steam ahead on this, but that first check thing happens. And then the delivery, like it was supposed to be 45 days later or something mm-hmm. after delivery that I get the, the second half of it. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that window comes and goes, they keep telling me, Oh, just wait another week or two, wait a yep. couple weeks. Yada, yada, yada. I'm like, Nope, fuck this. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't even wait to, to the point where you could actually start seeing revenue from them. Like after right. the MG, yep. you were just like, Nope, nope. this isn't working. So, yep. so did you actually have something into in the contract that allowed you to pull out? No, no, but oh. I, you know, I, I went through and kind of did some Googling and I, I was able to find some like level of distribution dissolution template oh. or uh, an example of some kind and built right. my own. I still have the letter. Probably I could send it to you. <laughs> yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. If you wanted, wanted to have some fun packing materials for this episode. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I took that and kind of built my own, citing the actual instances of default, like cause for right. default on right. the agreement on their okay. behalf. Okay. And I was able to come up with like three citations, I think that were pretty on the nose, you know, and it was, yeah. just, it was either like either you rectify these in 30 days or i consider this yep. deal null, null and void yeah. and yeah yeah they gave me you know that that their acquisitions person reached out the one time and like tried to talk me out of it and i was like you know listen i you guys have actually been very nice i've enjoyed working with you but if you can't the financial side of it is the whole point yeah, <laughs> and if you can't totally. if you can't fulfill that then right sorry you know right she, did she lawyers like, ever okay. get involved with this or what were you able, you were able to do this completely without yep. getting lawyers yep. involved okay well that's yep. cool anyway that that you were able to do that so and then yeah i mean um, i took it straight uh, to film hub basically yeah okay and that one that one they i mean just they just reached out to me the other last week uh-huh. roku is selected it as a i don't know feature title or some shit for june july so oh awesome it's gonna get increasing so you know years after the fact uh, yeah. again that movie kind of has it looks a little hoary, the cover art and stuff. Yeah. And, and it can be marketed kind of uh, yeah. to a lot of territory. Yeah, it's horror stuff, adjacent. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll exactly. give you that. Yeah. Can you speak to the budget of that one at all? Yes. We shot in the can for 55, oh, okay. delivered at about 60. We had All there. right. So you're breaking. So with that one, you kind of broke away from the Joe Swanberg spirit a little bit. And, and a little dip, bit. Dipped into some... It's still well within the micro budget realm, but into a kind of a more serious budget. To make this stuff work and to, to finance, especially smaller movies like this, you have to just be so unabashedly shameless in huh. your ask, your asking for help to make this thing happen, to tell the story. You know, that was a film we did it. We did a Kickstarter for might have been might have been the budget. We might have been trying like 45 grand or something. We did. OK, it may have been like two thirds of that or something. Mm-hmm. 
and like made a video of us watching the last 10 minutes of it. That's yeah. great. You is that, know? One, is that uh, one of those deals where if you don't raise the money, it just takes all, all or away. nothing. Yeah. It's all or it was then maybe they've changed that since. I think there's different different platforms have different ways. Well, Indiegogo has an all or not has has it's always been either or. I think Kickstarter maybe has implemented that at some point. Seed and Spark is the one that it's not all or nothing. I'm not sure, but anyway, well, Indiegogo is for sure. Like I said, that was why we did Indiegogo for those early ones. Okay, uh, for what would Bear do and all guys creatures? We did Indiegogos because we were scared that we couldn't hit it. Yeah, Yeah. fairly modest goals, you know. Right, right. Because crowdfunding is a nightmare, but. Yep. So yeah, so we failed. We did like a video of us for the ten, last 10 minutes. And basically a lot of the people, most of the people that had committed money, they most of them assume that it's taken out when they charge their card. They don't even right. understand that it's taken out a later date. So most of them yep. assume the money gone anyways, but they reached yep. out when they understood, I guess, that that hadn't happened. That, you know, the money's there. You can, you know, you can come back and get it whenever you want, you know? So right. that, like, right. we, we actually had like physical, we, we like felt responsible in saying that we had a, a physical commitment of 15 grand. So what yeah. it amount, even though we failed the Kickstarter, it amounted to what we perceived as our first money in, you know, okay. that, yep. that if you're going out raising equity financing, and that's of course the first rung on the ladder is the hardest one when it comes yep. to financing, just some social validation that other people think this can be a movie <laughs> yeah, totally. and is worth worth their time is a huge talking point, I think, or, or progress point, data point on the, on the uh, flow chart for that. So then went out to all the people that we've been pitching equity anyways, or pitching mm-hmm. for equity anyways, and had some conversations, of course, a lot of no's, and that went on for some time. I guess what our, our first $7,500 unit on that came from a friend of Shawnee's who was willing to put in 7,500 bucks. And then we got, I think then, I think the big investor was the next one before we had another one single $7,500 unit. But yeah, basically, you know, we had a little bit of money in, we had the Kickstarter money sitting there supposedly. And a guy that I had met bartending, he was a regular at this bar, Irish Exit. Midtown that I worked at, a total shit show of a bar. And, you know, he would hang out after closing time and stuff. He was very well to do and could, you know, tipped well enough for us to put up with that, (laughs) I guess, you know, Uh, cool guy, whatever, too. But so, yeah, I knew this guy from that and he worked in pharmaceutical sales or for a pharmaceutical company, I should say. I knew he made good money. And I had pitched him on it a few times. And this is a guy that travels a lot. And we had kind of, you know, struck up a somewhat conversation radically over time about this. And he would sometimes sitting in a hotel bar and wherever the fuck he was at for work, mm-hmm. just texting me stuff. And one night he texts me and he's like, how much money do you guys need to make this movie? Wow. I'm like, wow. so yeah, we had actually, so we had, had the, we had, we had 15 in equity actually. So we had that full amount in equity and then we had the Kickstarter money too. And I was like, we need, was it 30 grand? I think it was 30 grand. Well, anyway, like, not, not, not to rush you, but I, I want to kind of move, move along here a, a little bit. So, you know, obviously you were able to put together some financing from private sources, but people you knew, which, you know, that's always a great model. Like if you can just, if you can find a few people in your life that have a little bit of extra money lying around, you know, once that film got made, what was the, what was the strategy towards distributing that? I mean, that went on film hub, right? I, I assume. So what has the kind of, what's the revenue been like since then? That one's been, like I said, that one's been great. We haven't made back yeah. 60 grand yet, but that that's okay. one, again, because I think it is a little bit of higher quality than those first yeah. couple of yeah, movies. Yeah. And it has those kind of, you know, we, one of the interesting things we did with that was we hired a adult film star to play the girl in it. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, lends its own built-in following. I think that certainly was helpful with the Kickstarter. And I, I brought them in, my buddy Phil and my buddy Al, who are pretty accomplished actors. I brought the two of them in and, and Charmaine, the adult film star, in for the Kickstarter phase. So again, you can, we kind of, we got their fans in 
early on this. So with all the Kickstarters we've done since, or I've done since, there's only been a, a few of them, thankfully, but it's always been, we're selling you the movie now. Just give us the money now and we'll make the movie and then we can give it to you, you know? <laughs> Build, building your building your fan base through your crowdfunding campaign. Right? Precisely, like, precisely. Like, yeah. So um, have, you, have you done yeah. any, like, have you engaged in any kind of marketing promotional efforts at all? I'm sort of curious about that because it's so easy. You know, you just put it on Film Hub, you pass QC, you right. do all the stuff you're supposed to do. But of course, thousands of other filmmakers are doing the same thing. How do you direct eyeballs to your feature? I, I don't anymore. To me, okay. it is very much, you know, we're not, you know, I, I, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's somewhat of a defeatist attitude probably, because I'm sure yeah. it probably would be beneficial uh, to do that with those library titles. I just, I don't want to say that everyone has accepted the financial fate of them uh, already, but, uh, or the lack thereof, yeah. but to some degree or another, it's kind of just whatever comes in, comes in. And yeah. Yeah, I probably could benefit from mm -hmm. taking the time to do that, devoting just even a small amount of of the guy. I do a lot of Facebook advertising for yeah. the podcast that I do, the, okay. the retro video game podcast that I do. That's just a fun thing that actually I can't believe people listen to. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we advertise for that. And yeah. it's I certainly see data that supports it works. Yeah. So I'm sure if there if people didn't have to pay money that it would be it would it would work for for film too. But when you look at your film hub data, are there particular platforms where the movie's doing better than others or Tubi, I mean as Tubi. everyone always says, yeah. Tubi's the the best yeah. probably right now. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's the Avod ones for sure. Yeah. The 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 Tubi, the Plex numbers are usually pretty good. Again, I can pull it up, and especially Catch because it has so many platforms. Yeah. Uh, there's a good one to look at for just some of the examples. Roku is, is, a, is a decent one. Popsy, that's Plex. Zumo is one that usually has pretty regular uh, payouts. So do you think that there's a, a chance that you could actually recoup the, the money that was spent sure. on it? You yeah, that's especially because, again, if, if they have that eternally marketable component to them, yeah. the whore thing, like I said, that, I just don't think they go away. Although, again, what would Bear do is such a case study otherwise because it's just a dumb comedy. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If if you if just having it there and do, there's just no downside to, to throwing it up there. There just isn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want to talk about your, your, your books a little bit. You've written a couple of books, right? Kind of about yes. your, your experience. What do you want us to tell us about those? Like they're they're both case studies. They're yeah. they're you know nonfiction deals about experiences making some of the films that I've made. Uh -huh. The first one is exclusively about all God's creatures. That was kind of a situation where I'd written the book before I'd written it because part of our marketing plan for that of you know who knows where I gleaned it from, some early filmmaking blog or something, but was was writing about the process of making it and contributing yeah. to a lot of filmmaking blogs at the time. So after we'd finished, that movie had come out. And I, you know, I want to say I started writing that before I had even started What Would Bear Do. I kind of already had a book. I kind of already had yeah. most of the structure, had, had kind of dial, uh, diaried the whole process. And I just had to fill in some gaps to make it a true book. And that is what kind of led to the genesis of that. So that, yeah, that came out in 2013. And then I make What Would Bear Do? I make Catch-22. I make Love is Dead as well, which was uh, another film that I did with the same guy I did Catch-22 with, uh, an adaption of one of his plays. So yeah, so so that was, uh, we had done those all very unique in their own ways, I think. Yeah. And then I also, I also produced one of the last films I made in New York was this film, Ask for Jane, that mm -hmm. was a, a quarter million dollar deal about, uh, based on a true story that was about women's reproductive rights and free Roe versus Wade, political climate for that. So in, incredible movie making experience and kind of a big movie, like a period film that we just, you know, I don't know how the hell we did that on a quarter million bucks, to be honest with you. But <laughs> these three very different experiences, Catch-22, Love is Dead and that. And after doing that, 
I had kind of had this idea of writing a book that compares the three of them. It's like basically the first oh, book, okay. but with some, some 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 cross analysis of the three projects and how they contrasted to each other and, and, and how they differed, I guess. So I'd had that idea for a while. And then when COVID hit and nothing was happening for a while, uh, I basically just sat down those first three months of COVID from March to June and wrote the book oh, of cool. 2020 and put it out that summer. Okay. Sounds great. Well, yeah, I, I wish maybe you had time to kind of talk more about stuff that you have done more recently, but just kind of looking looking forward, what's next on your plate? Well, you know, uh, like I said, I'm always, I, I, I have uh, a film, Tricks, Tricks Go Wrong, Tricks Can Go Wrong, that is the about the, the struggling street magician, where uh, it's a first time filmmaker. We shot that for 30 grand. That's in post right now. We're just literally I'm interfacing the the delivery from the picture editor to to sound right now. So that's kind of towards the tail end of post. We'll be doing the festival thing with that next year. I just shot a short that I'm doing the same thing with. I have a short documentary that I've been doing for years because there's an animation component and animation takes forever yeah. uh, about the it's the the sound department on Tommy Wise Out's the room. Oh God! Uh, wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's <laughs> it's about it's about it's twenty seven minutes is the is the actual edit. We have about seven minutes of animation in it, kind of visualizing the stories. It's just an interview with the sound mixer, the production sound mixer, and his boom op. And yeah. they were the only two crew wow. members that wow. lasted the entire shoot. <laughs> so wow. they have the whole picture, you know. That, that's, that's awesome. Um, and, and Zolt's a great guy. I had worked with Zolt before, and that was the whole thing. I was reading the room or the book, The Disaster Artist, around the time the movie was coming out. And they have pictures in the book of production yeah. stills that the producer had taken. Right. That guy, Greg. And I see a picture early in the book of it's, it shows the sound mixer in the parking lot with his head in his hands <laughs> and it says sound mixer Zolt. And I'm like, how many sound mixers? I, after having worked with this guy named Zolt, who's a goddamn sound mixer in L.A., one of the yeah. first films I did, one of Glenn Danzig's movies. I was like, how many sound mixers in LA can be named Zolt? You know, so like, <laughs> yeah. I, I like start reading through the book further. And there's another picture of him after they go up to San Francisco to shoot the pickups and they took Zolt for that. And wow. there's a, yeah, I just, he's plain as day. You can see his face right there. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, <laughs> I'm texting Zolt immediately. And I'm like, Zolt, we're talking about this. <laughs> we're sitting, we're sitting down and we're going to talk about this. Yeah. And he was you know, super gracious about coming in and doing an interview, brought the boom up to Tim. And yeah, it's, you know, it's an amazing, it, it's incredible. There's all these things that of course show how much of a monster Tommy could be all the things that we all kind of know about that, that, yeah. that story already. But he told me this story at the end, that is beautiful and this incredible turn of what everyone views Tommy as yeah. personality wise. And it is such a beautiful end to this just you know 22 minutes of just nightmare <laughs> yeah awesome that sounds totally and then, a, awesome. and then a five minute story of just an absolutely beautiful thing that he did while they were making the documentary one time after yeah. after shooting the room cool so, well yeah it sounds like you're keeping yourself plenty busy yeah so a- anything else that we didn't cover you want to want to cover <laughs> no yeah i mean there's a million other stories but there's, there's always so much stories time. yeah yeah no, no, no. It's, been, it's been great hearing hearing what we did get to so and then Absolutely finally that. any you know any you know usual contact information anything like that uh, sure sure yeah my website you can find all the stuff i've done on my website at nyehentertainment.com neaentertainment.com and i'm on twitter at josh fallen on instagram at my shifty is broke uh if you want to follow all the dumb stuff i am doing or trying to do at all times yeah. sounds good <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, that's all for today. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and or reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, That is the best way that you can help me grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just want to try to understand this crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution today. Uh, As always, feel free to contact me directly with any feedback or suggestions for the show, people you'd like to see me interview, or even just to say hi. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram at DarkRoseColin, or you can email me at Colin at DarkRosePictures.com. And by the way, DarkRosePictures.com is my website for my feature and other projects, and its purpose is not just to promote my films, but to tell the story with full honesty and transparency of my own personal filmmaking journey. Uh, So if you want to follow the process of an independent filmmaker from development to distribution, this is a great way to do that. Uh, It's a bit different from other websites that are out there with uh, a little bit more emphasis on discussion and interactivity so fans can follow my work and communicate with me directly along the way. So check it out, darkrosepictures.com. Anyway, that is, as usual, enough of my own self-promotion. I want to thank Jesse Browder for his work on editing this podcast. And of course, I want to thank Josh Folan for a great conversation about indie distribution. Uh, I have more great guests lined up in the coming weeks. So stay tuned, keep making movies, keep getting movies out there into the world. And thanks so much for listening. Mm